You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Ryan Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts odds maker Nick Kalikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC Vegas 19 event, which takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC Vegas 19 features a 14 fight card in total and will be aired on, exclusively on ESPN Plus this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a heavyweight contest featuring Sergei Spivak, who is 11-2, and two, and Jared Vandera, who is 11-4. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple quick notes before we get rolling here. The opening betting odds that I will be quoting on this podcast are market opening prices, and they're available at MMAoddsBurger.com, UFC Vegas 19, Blades versus Lewis. That's our opening betting odds article done by Adam Martin. So make sure you head over to MMAOB.com and check that article out. Those are market openers. The updated lines that I will be using are from Circa Sports here in Las Vegas. If you're ever in Vegas, Circa Las Vegas is the place to be. The world's biggest sports book, Stadium Swim. There's so much cool stuff to see there, so make sure you head over to Circa Las Vegas. And again, that's where the updated betting odds that I will be quoting are from. Also, make sure you head over to UFC Fight Pass and check out UFC On The Line for this weekend's card. We made our best bets and everything available as far as betting breakdowns. It's an awesome show. Had a lot of fun doing it. So make sure you head over to UFC Fight Pass and click on On The Line and check out our latest episode. So getting right into the fights for this weekend should be a fantastic card. I mean, we have 14 fights on this card now. It was 15. We had one drop off, but still a lot of fighting and a lot of good action ahead of us. The opening odds, Spivak minus 225, Vandera plus 190. Right now, looking over at Circa Sports, we're seeing Spivak at minus 215. The comeback on Vandera around plus, or, I'm sorry, minus 215 for Spivak. The comeback on Vandera at plus 215. So a little bit more action coming in Spivak's way. Some sharp action mixed in there as well. This should be a pretty interesting fight because, I mean, obviously both these guys are heavyweights. They have a lot of power either way. I think Spivak is definitely the more well-rounded technical fighter of the two. I think he could bust Vandera up on the feet. Vandera might have more one-punch knockout power, but I think he's more hittable and he's not as technical on the feet. I think Spivak is the better overall striker. I think Spivak has an overall better ground game as well. So he's just the more complete mixed martial artist. I think Vandera is going to have to do some damage early if he's going to win this fight. I don't think that'll be the case. I think Spivak is durable enough to kind of withstand what Vandera has to offer here in this spot and eventually finds a finish along the way before it hits the scorecards. If it does happen to go to the cards, I think Spivak is aside there as well. So I do see it as the price progresses, though. You got to be careful. It's a heavyweight fight. There's just too much firepower back and forth in these matchups to lay a significant amount of chalk in a situation like this, especially with this level of heavyweight so you've got to be cautious but my pick is Spivak and I agree that Spivak is the more well-rounded guy here he actually is the better striker which historically has not been the case in a lot of his UFC fights he's been able to get wins by taking guys out of their element and looking for takedowns and submissions but uh, this time around he's he's going to be quicker he should have the better striking technique he should have uh, just as much power on the feet uh the, the main thing I'm nervous about is that Spivak does shoot for a lot of takedowns, and that's worked for him 
uh, and it's helped him get some quality wins in the UFC. But if he misses out on a takedown and ends up on bottom, uh, Vandera kind of has that Derek Lewis effect. Now, he's not quite as dangerous as Derek Lewis from top position, but if Vandera gets top position against Spivak, he could do some serious damage. This guy is a ground-and-pound machine. So, uh, main thing here, uh, Vandera's path to victory is either catch Spivak with something lucky on the feet, because I do think that Spivak is by far the better striker, or get top position on the ground and go to work. But I think Spivak has the better ground game of the two of them. I think his wrestling's better. I think his submissions are better. But again, anything can happen in heavyweight MMA if you get stuck on bottom. So I'm a little nervous about that, but Spivak should be uh, the winner here. So he will be my pick. Now, dropping down to the Bantamweight division, we have Ayman Zahabi, who is 7-2, taking on Draco Rodriguez, who is 7-1. Now, Nick... What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Rodriguez open minus 204, the comeback on Zahabi plus 167. And right now over at Circus Sports, we are currently seeing Rodriguez minus 200, the comeback on Zahabi at plus 175. Interesting fight. I, I like this matchmaking because I think it's a really good test to see where both these guys are at right now. I mean, Zahabi, I think, is probably the more technical overall striker in this spot here. He's developing his ground game, takedown defense. So he's obviously a very well-rounded mixed martial artist, a little bit older at 33, but still has a lot of fight years left in him. I mean, it's not like he's taken a lot of damage throughout his career, a lot of wear and tear. I think this guy is definitely capable of still making a run at 33, but he definitely has to tighten up some defensive issues that he def- he has. And he showed us thus far in the octagon, but that said the other side of it, Rodriguez is an interesting prospect for sure. I think he has the more well-rounded mixed martial artist because he has a better ground game and he's more dominant in that fashion. And if he gets top position here on Zahabi, it's going to get interesting. Or even off his back, he could definitely uh, throw up some arm bars, get you in a guillotine choke, transition, sweep you out of there as well. So Rodriguez is the better mixed martial artist. I think he has probably a little bit more pure power on the feet as well. But the striking is going to be interesting. And I, I do think Zahabi pushes a pretty decent pace. So it'll be close. It's going to be competitive for sure. But I think the difference maker is definitely the overall well-roundedness of, of Rodriguez, if that makes sense, because I think he can mix in everything better, and I think it'll show on the scorecards or possibly get a finish if he does, and it'll likely be by submission if that happens, I think. Maybe rock Zahabi and then hop on a submission, something like that. I could see that playing out that way, but should be a pretty competitive fight, and again, I think these guys are going to push each other, and the winner of this fight will definitely have a solid W under his resume. So I like Rodriguez slightly in this spot. As far as Beck goes, I would probably be cautious, though, because as it's approaching minus 200 or so, I think the value's already pretty much gone. Yeah, I think this is a pretty well-rounded matchup. So at uh, approaching 200, there's no way. But uh, I also do like Rodriguez. I think on the feet, these guys are evenly matched, but Rodriguez hits a little bit harder. So I can see that his strikes being more impactful during the fight, maybe uh, swaying the judges a little bit more. Uh, maybe he hurts Zahabi, but Zahabi has shown that he is extremely durable as well. So I think that's probably unlikely. Uh, and on the ground, as Nick mentioned, uh, Rodriguez does have a really good submission game. So uh, if it goes to the floor, I think Rodriguez will be uh, threatening with uh, quite a few submissions. I mean, this guy is a very capable grappler. So uh, I think on the ground, um, I mean, we just saw him win by triangle choke on contender series, and he's got, you know, wins by guillotine choke, by armbar throughout his uh, fighting career. So I think uh, it's his fight to lose. I'm going to go with Rodriguez, uh, either by decision or potentially by submission. 
Now moving up to the featherweight division, we have Chaz Skelly, who is 18-3, taking on Jamal Emmers, who is 18-5. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Emmers minus 140, the comeback on Skelly at plus 120. Wasn't quite enough as everybody came in and pounced on Emmers. He's now minus 220, the comeback on Skelly at plus 190. Interesting fight. Obviously, the path to victory for Skelly here is the ground game. He has a dominant wrestling submission game that he loves to go to. I mean, he's getting better on the feet, but he will not have success on the feet against Emmers. Emmers has decent takedown defense. He's got good grappling grappling ability in his own right. Very capable of doing some good things on the ground. I just think he doesn't want to kind of play that game here against Skelly. If he gets top position, he has to be careful because Skelly's just so sick and slick on the grounds with his transitions, his darts chokes. I mean, he sets up anything on the ground around your neck. You're in some serious, serious, serious trouble. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Skelly's that type of finisher when he's capable of, of getting a good spot on the ground. Emmers is going to look to sprawl brawl, keep this fight upright, and obviously pick Skelly apart. I think he can do that. I think he's smart enough and strong enough to probably maintain top position and then be a little bit safe and let kind of Skelly work back to his feet if that's the case. Um, so I do think Emmers kind of picks him apart and wins this fight. It's his fight to win or lose. If he fights smart, he wins it. But it is dangerous as it's progressing up to minus 250-ish for sure because Skelly's ground game and his path to victory is there. So I think you have to kind of avoid this and respect where the betting line is right now. And at this point, it might be starting to turn into a dog or pass situation. But for me, it's kind of a tricky one. I think Emmers wins. And I'm probably going to just stay away from this altogether. Yeah, Emmers is a really interesting fighter. I mean, the guy has some huge wins throughout his career. I mean, notably, Corey Sanhagen um, hasn't quite shown it in the UFC yet in a small sample size. But, oh, baby, did he look good the last time we saw him out. Uh, if he can keep bringing that level of consistency to the cage, I think he's going to be a real big problem because... Uh, you know, his loss in his UFC debut doesn't look nearly as bad anymore. Uh, to It was a split decision to, to Giga Chikadze, who is like 5-0 and in the UFC now and looks like, a you know, a player in the division. So uh, Emmers, I think, should have a pretty solid striking edge. He should have a power advantage. He mixes it up really good. Um, and I think he has the uh, conditioning edge uh, with Chaz Skelly. He is a very strong wrestler with good submissions and improving striking. So if Skelly can get Emmers down and keep him down, or if he can get him down and latch onto something, that makes me nervous. But I think Emmers fends him off for the most part from the outside and then just starts picking Skelly apart with his superior uh, pace, uh, striking technique, you name it. Um, You know, this guy is somebody to keep an eye on in the featherweight division. And I think that he uh, stamps his uh, himself right here with a, a quality win over a quality opponent in Chaz Skelly. So uh, Emers is going to be my pick. I think he either wins by decision or maybe gets a late stoppage as Skelly starts to fade. Now dropping down to the women's flyweight division, we have Shayna Dobson, who is four and four taking on Casey O'Neill, who is five and zero. Oh. What's the MMA odds makers perspective on this one? O'Neill opened minus 185, Dobson plus 160. Right now over at Circus Sports, we have O'Neill minus 145, the comeback on Dobson plus 125. More love coming in on Dobson market-wide. I mean, pulling off the world's 
biggest upset, the, the biggest upset in the sport's history over Agapova. That's crazy. You're going to get that kind of respect for sure. So now she's a small dog coming into this fight here. But it's going to be a tough matchup for her. I think O'Neal is definitely the more well-rounded fighter. She's a lot lesser known. I mean, she's getting the opportunity to make her UFC debut here. But I'll tell you what, I've been impressed with what I have seen. She hasn't faced a high-level competition, so that's what you got to be worried about with O'Neal. But she does push a high pace. She's not afraid to stand and bang. She does have a really good ground game, better then Dobson here, she's going to try to get the takedowns and then implement that that pound, ground and pound and the path to victory that she does have, which is submissions and, like I said, just doing damage on the ground. So I think if Dobson can sprawl brawl, keep this fight upright, she might have some success. And Dobson is by far the best mixed martial artist, I think, that O'Neal has faced thus far. So And she's going to have confidence pulling off that upset. I mean, she's definitely a warrior, and she hangs in there, and she's improving a lot. I just think overall she still hasn't cut up to the skill set that O'Neal has, if that makes sense. So... For me, I got to pick O'Neal to win this fight. I just think she's a better mixed martial artist, and I'd be surprised if she doesn't doesn't win this fight. But again, level competition being weak, I think you have to kind of respect Dobson in this spot and see how this one plays out. Tremendous props to Dobson for pulling off that upset, but I mean, she still was very outclassed, um, and she's not that particularly skilled. She just took advantage of an opponent that used all their energy completely gassed out and then just crumpled. And I don't think that's going to happen here against O'Neill. The main statistic that has me siding with O'Neill and thinking that she's going to steamroll here is Dobson's takedown defense rating. I think she has 0% takedown defense so far in her UFC career. And O'Neill is a strong grappler. She has good wrestling. She has good submissions. She has good top control you name it, as long as she gets us to the floor, I think it's over. The main thing is Dobson is athletic. She's got some power. So if O'Neill doesn't get this to the floor, it might get interesting. But uh, I'm, I think that Dobson returns to reality here. She's getting a little bit of love because of the huge upset last time. But uh, I think we're going to see how skilled she really is with this fight. And you're going to see that she just can't stack up against the the better grapplers in the division. So uh, I think O'Neal makes a great UFC debut here, and I think that she doesn't just win, but I think she actually uh, walks away with uh, probably a submission victory. So O'Neal will be my pick. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Julian Erosa, who is 24-8, taking on Nate Landwehr, who is 14-3. Now, Nick... Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Landwehr opened minus 159, the comeback on Erosa plus 131, and right now over at Circa Sports, we are currently seeing the betting line as, one second here, Erosa as an underdog now still. It did kind of flip back and forth. It was around a pickup type of fight, minus 110. Erosa actually became a favorite in some places for a minute. But now we have Landwehr minus 130 to come back in Erosa plus 110. So recent action coming back in a Landwehr from the pick'em type of price. And there is a lot of two-way action coming to this fight. A lot of split opinions out there, of course. Erosa, to me, is the more talented mixed martial artist. This guy has always been a bit underrated. I think he's got a skill set everywhere you want to see it. I mean, he's got decent striking. He mixes things up well. Doesn't have that one-punch pure knockout power, but he puts his techniques together so well. And he's got the kicking game that could be definitely a positive impact for him as well that he's effective on the feet. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. So I think Erosa's legit on the feet. He's got length. He's got speed. He's got technical ability. He's got a really good ground game and submission game to go along with it. 
most of the time, decent takedown defense. So he's a very complete fighter, and it just hasn't had that success that you'd want him to have in the UFC thus far. And he's got another tough test. I mean, I know he's bouncing off or he's coming off of a very impressive win, which I'm glad to see him get because I think he needed to. I mean, he's especially in the UFC, obviously. I mean, he's coming back off back to back wins, but he got his first W in a while in the UFC. Um, which he needed to. I mean, the win over Woodson, Woodson's stock was on a on the rise, and he just kind of stole it all from him. And I think Erosa proved that he belongs on this roster, and I'd like to see him definitely competing more and, and getting kind of a win streak together. It's just going to be tough against Landwehr because Landwehr is, is definitely an underrated fighter in his own right. I mean, getting a win over Elkins, I think Elkins is at a point in his career where he is on a little bit of a decline, so it was a good spot for Landwehr to come in and pick up a very solid win. But that proves a lot because Elkins is not an easy out. So Landwehr has power in the feet. I think he's got more one-punch knockout power, obviously, and he's got probably better hands overall. Not as technical as he rose to overall, but he's got the wrestling in his back pocket as well. I think he's the more dominant wrestler, um, and I think he could probably avoid submissions here. Um, so with all that said, I'm expecting it to be kind of a pickup type of fight. I think it could realistically go either way. I'll side back with Erosa since everybody kind of – is betting more recent on landware, but for me, it's truly a pickup type of fight. I think pickup at minus one ten either way is a fair price because this fight could definitely go either way. So for me, I'm staying away from it. It could be a dog or pass situation depending on where the odds settle. But I will pick Erosa because I think he he is just the more technical and better mixed martial artist overall. But I think it will be a difficult fight for him. Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, landware here. I just think that landware, while Erosa might have some slight uh, overall edges. Uh, Landwehr is the better striker. He's better in the pocket, which is kind of where Erosa likes to to live, uh, even though Erosa has the physical advantages. And Landwehr's the better wrestler. Uh, Erosa may have the submission edge, but I can see Landwehr, you know, shooting in for takedowns and getting top position if for some reason Erosa's getting an edge on the feet. Um, and then you factor in that Erosa has been uh, a little chinny in the past. And I think uh, the fact that he's going to be looking to engage in a brawl on the feet with Landwehr is not good. Uh, you know, so I think in a, a pure stand-up fight, maybe Erosa has a chance if he keeps it uh, at distance and utilizes his leg kicks cause he, or, and his head kicks because he does have some really good kicks. Uh, and Landwehr has been uh, susceptible to them in the past. But the second that he allows uh, Landwehr to get into the pocket and get into boxing range, I think it becomes Landwehr's fight. So uh, that, I think, is where this fight is going to take place for the most part. And Landwehr has shown he has no problem slugging it out, and he gets the better of people in those type of exchanges for the most part. So unless Landwehr completely leaves himself exposed and gets caught like he did in the Herbert Burns fight, uh, I think Landwehr gets the better of Erosa on the feet in those close quarter exchanges, possibly hurts him and knocks him out. And uh, if all else fails, he can get some takedowns, because I, and I don't think uh, Erosa gets the submission. So uh, I'm going to go with Landwehr either by decision or TKO. Now, dropping down to the Bantamweight division, we have Eddie Wineland, who is 24-14-1 taking on John Castaneda, who is 17-5. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Wineland opened minus 150, Castaneda plus 130. And right now, looking over at the betting odds, we have Castaneda minus 130, the comeback on Wineland plus 110. So line flipped, sharp action coming in, hitting Castaneda early on. 
And it's kind of trending that way a little bit. But again, a pick type of fight. And this is going to be very interesting because Wineland, the savvy vet, I mean, well-rounded fighter, former WEC champion, former, I think, definitely one of the best bantamweights in the world. I mean, this guy still has heavy hands. He still has solid wrestling, even though he doesn't implement that wrestling plan all that much. But he's tough as nails. I mean, just an older fighter at this point of his career. I mean, that's what he's lacking right now is, I mean, you can't stop father, t- father time from kind of, you know, getting you in that spot. And I think Wineland's a little bit less durable than he was. He was a very durable fighter at one point of his career. It's just, I think that aspect of things is what you have to worry about with Wineland. I think Castaneda is coming in here. He's going to be the faster striker. I think he's going to be the more effective striker in this spot. I mean, again, he's got to be cautious because Wineland does have that one punch knockout power and some wrestling in his back pocket. Uh, but I think Castaneda will not be held down. I think he's going to, be able to counter well and end up kind of lighting Wineland up on the feet as this fight progresses a little bit. And I think he can possibly finish Wineland or at least steal two out of three rounds and win a decision here. So I think it is Castaneda as far as a pick and the value, especially in plus money early on. Those are guys that gobbled, gobbled him up in plus money. There's tremendous value there. Um, but it's probably a favorite or pass situation with Castaneda still at this point. Um, I, I like what I see. I mean, again, I think this is a very good spot for him to come in here and pick up a very solid win over a respected veteran of Wineland. And I think he gets it done. Yeah, this really just boils down to how much do you think Wineland still has left in the tank? Because, you know, prime Eddie Wineland would have won this fight for sure. But uh, the current version of Eddie Wineland, we've seen him lose a striking battle somehow to Brian Carraway. Uh, We've seen him drop decisions to John Dodson and Alejandro Perez. And then most recently, he just got absolutely annihilated by Sean O'Malley. brutal knockout in the first round. Uh, But he has mixed in some knockouts during that time as well. You know, he knocked out Frankie Sainz. He knocked out Takaya Mitsugaki. He knocked out Grigori Popov. So you still got to watch out because power's the last thing to go for fighters. So uh, Castaneda cannot take Wineland lightly here because he could become another victim. But uh, I'm liking, as Nick said, what I see out of Castaneda. I mean, even though he has lost three of his last four fights, um, this guy's aggressive. He puts on really strong performances, and he has some decent wins. Uh, you know, I'd say the best one was probably Gustavo Lopez back in Combate, but and his loss to Nathaniel Wood was competitive, and Wood is a, a player at 135. So if he kind of brings that same level that he had in the Wood fight to this Wineland fight, I think with the way Castaneda is kind of on the rise a little bit uh, with how Wineland now is, you know, on the down, the decline at 36 years old, um, you have to go with Castaneda. But again, if Castaneda, you know, plays with fire a little bit and leaves himself exposed during a striking exchange, overcommits to something, Wineland is a tremendous po- counterpuncher. And has a lot of power still, so Wineland absolutely could blister Castaneda. But my pick is going to be Castaneda. Now, moving up to the lightweight division, we have Drakkar Close, who is 11-2-1, taking on Luis Pena, who is 8-3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Close open minus 135, Pena plus 115. And right now, looking over at Circus Sports, we have close minus 175, Pena plus 152. Tough one, man. I mean, obviously, to me, Close is a very solid fighter. He's got strength, wrestling, durability in most cases. I mean, fight IQ sometimes 
kills me with him because I think he he makes fights a little bit tougher than they should be. Um, and defensively, you got to be worried about him somewhat too. But I mean, overall, this guy is definitely legit, solid, solid fighter that, I mean, you have to respect everything that he brings to the table here for sure. So I do that. But that said, he's going to have a very difficult opponent in front of him, Pena, with that length and the skill that Pena brings. I mean, he's not a bad striker. Utilize that that range pretty well on the feet. He can be effective. He's got those slick chokes that he can bring to the table on the ground, and he's going to look to kind of wrap close up around the neck or whatever position he could get in and try to utilize that unorthodox but effective submission game. So Pena's not an easy out, regardless where you take this fight. Close should be able to dictate where it goes, meaning I think he's a better wrestler. And again, I think he's got more one-punch knockout power, so he should be able to win this fight. And I'm going to pick him to win. I just think at the betting window, it makes it tough with all the intangibles that Pena has here. And I think he needs, obviously, Pena. Both these guys are looking to bounce back and put on a good show and a good performance because I think, realistically, they need to. I mean, with Close losing to Darius like he did, and then Pena coming off of that upset loss that a lot of people were kind of shocked by worthy, you know, finishing it by choke late in that fight. So both these guys need to bounce back and prove that they're still in the mix, sort of speak. And I think it's going to be a very competitive back and forth type of fight. I think close wins it, but another tough one at the betting window. Yeah. I'm not too nervous about this one. Cause I just think close kind of has him. Um, Pena does have some power and he has some submission ability. So Close can't, you know, just completely sleep on the guy, but uh, Close is the aggressor on the feet. He's better in pure boxing range, so as long as he closes the distance and forces uh, this fight into the pocket, I think a lot of Pena's edges in terms of his size and length uh, are taken away. Um, Close also should be the better wrestler, so if he does get a takedown, he'll be in top position. Now, Pena could latch onto something from bottom, like an arm bar or triangle choke or something, so that could happen. I'm a little nervous about it, but, you know, Close has been pretty resistant to submissions in the past, so I'm not too worried about it. The only thing I'm anything really nervous about is if Close spends the whole fight in the clinch and Pena kind of uses those long limbs and throws a knee up and blasts him in the face or something because uh, Pena is surprisingly a a decent clinch fighter Um, and close being, you know, that guy that likes to fight on the inside and wants to get close and and get uh, and close the distance and not just stay on the edge, especially against somebody with the, the length of Pena, that could spell disaster. But I think Close fights the fight where he wants it to be, which is either top position on the ground or in the pocket. And I think that he makes Pena's life miserable because Pena doesn't handle pressure very well. So uh, I think Close runs away with a pretty one-sided decision. So Close is going to be my pick. Now, moving on to the preliminary card headliner, we have Jared Gordon, who is 16-4, taking on Danny Chavez, who is 11-3, and three, and this is in the featherweight division. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Gordon opened minus 180, the comeback on Chavez, plus 155. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently Chavez's favorite, minus 130, the comeback on Gordon at plus 110. As crazy as it sounds, I think it's right. I think the early movement was understandable. I mean, for coming in on Chavez as the underdog here, I know Gordon has been battle tested. He's fought a lot of solid competition trains with a good camp. He's got it all. Like as far as 
where he needs to be, what his method of victory or what his game planning is. I mean, he's a grinder. He's got some power in the feet. He pushes a very high pace. I mean, he's just a tough, tough out. I mean, gritty vet for sure. And I got a ton of respect for Gordon. I just think stylistically it's a tough matchup for him. I think Chavez can pick him apart on the feet. I think Chavez is developing that wrestling and that takedown defense to the point where he can be effective in utilizing it to stay up on the feet. And on the feet is where he's going to be able to pick Gordon apart. So that's why I think you have to side with Chavez a little bit more here. I mean, you look at Chavez's record, especially earlier on in his career. Okay, it was a little bit shaky up and down, but you could tell the spot where he kind of took a little bit of a break. He came back and he improved quite a bit. And I've seen fighters in the past do that. And, and they just become a better version of themselves. And I think that's exactly what you're seeing to Chavez. I mean, his confidence is at all time high. And I think he's going to be able to deliver, deliver here. So I, I respect Gordon. I don't think it's going to be an easy fight. I think it's going to be grueling at times for Chavez for sure. But I think Chavez is going to be the one winning on the scorecards because he's going to be picking Gordon apart. But I think more than likely, he probably finishes it by knockout before it hits the cards as well. So Chavez is my pick. Yeah, if Gordon's going to win this one, it's going to be through wrestling, takedowns, top position, ground and pound, uh, either by decision or maybe TKO from top position. But will he be able to consistently get Chavez down and keep him down? Because um, as Nick said, Chavez has really turned a corner. I mean, that performance against TJ Brown was really impressive. I mean, Brown was uh, a good fighter in the division. Uh, some A lot of people were kind of hyped about him a little bit. And... Uh, Chavez just ran through him a little bit. And I think the thing that impressed me the most was those kicks. Um, he really did some damage to uh, Brown's kick uh, legs. And if he does that to Jared Gordon, he takes away Gordon's biggest weapon, which is that explosive uh, shot that he can do with his wrestling. If uh, Gordon gets slowed down, uh, he's going to be left standing and trading on the feet with an absolute killer and that does not bode well for him. So for Gordon, he needs to get this fight to the ground in a hurry. And if he does, he could be in pretty good shape. But uh, if he can't, and if Chavez starts going to work, and uh, those uh, those early strikes are going to pay dividends, they'll open up the headshots, and Gordon's a little bit, uh, you know, the durability's not quite there. So um, if he starts eating strikes on the feet, he's in big, big trouble, especially as a lightweight cutting down to featherweight. Um, you know, this is only, I think, his second time back down to featherweight. He looked great in the Fishgold fight, so uh, I, I won't say that uh, it was not a good move, but it also does potentially make you more vulnerable to getting knocked out as well. So uh, I think uh, this is a very scary fight for Gordon, and the path to victory is there for him with the wrestling, but if he... Uh, eats a lot of leg kicks, and if he can't get the takedowns easily, uh, I think Chavez goes to work and knocks him out. So I'm picking Chavez to win, uh, but if he does not get a knockout early, um, could be a live betting situation on Gordon, even if uh, Gordon loses the first round. So keep your eyes out for this one, but Chavez will be my pick. Now, moving on to the main card in the heavyweight division, we have Andre Arlovsky, who is 30 and 19, taking on Tom Aspinall, who is 9 and 2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Aspinall minus 275, Arlovsky plus 235, and right now we have 270 for Aspinall, 230 for Arlovsky. So basically, lines stayed the same. Solid opener for sure. 
Man, Orlovsky not getting any respect. He's that gatekeeper that's been used time and time again, and he shut the gate on a lot of prospects. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that with Aspinall. Aspinall has a ton of power. Orlovsky, even though he's been a lot more durable in the past, um, I mean, than he was in the past. He showed more durability recently, fighting smarter and kind of a more methodical fight. I still think he has that chin issue. You can't really hide it somewhat. He's just fighting smarter, and defensively, he's been better. So, But that said, I still don't trust him in a fight like that. Aspinall has so much power that I think he probably does eventually clip Orlovsky and put him out of there. But make no mistake, if this fight progresses and it goes in deeper waters, I think there's no doubt that Orlovsky is capable of winning this fight. He's showed it time and time again. I mean, his last win over Bozer was fantastic. I mean, Bozer's a true up-and-coming heavyweight that's improving – by leaps and bounds and, and Orlovsky just kind of shut that all down. So Aspinall, this is a big test for him by far the best fighter he's ever faced. I think he gets it done, but I mean, am I willing to lay almost 300 to find out? No, I think he gets it done probably inside the distance or whatnot or by KO of course, but I just don't think it's worth a look at the betting window at this spot, especially since Orlovsky has been playing spoilers so often. So the pick is Aspinall though. Yeah. The, the spoiler has been pretty wild watching Orlovsky go out there and, knock off all these guys on the rise. I mean, Philip Lind comes in with some hype. Uh, Arlovsky wins a decision. Tanner Boser wins by knockout a couple times, gets ranked. Arlovsky wins by decision. Uh, he did the same thing to Junior Albini back in the day, and they've thrown him in there against prospect after prospect after prospect. Uh, sometimes the prospect pulls it out, like, you know, Francis Ngannou with that incredible knockout. Um, Augusto Sakai just barely uh, got by him. Um, Rosenstruik looked amazing against him. So, you know, it's, it's really been a, a very interesting, uh, scene watching Arlovsky against prospects. That's pretty much what they do now. Um, but I think Aspinall is going to be up to the challenge. Now, this is a tremendous step up in competition for Aspinall. I mean, he's looked tr- incredible. I mean, this guy is a killer, uh, very accurate striker, a lot of power, good uh, hands, good kicking game, and pretty good ground game. So, I mean, he, he seems like he's got the complete package, but again, he has not faced anybody even close to the level of uh, Andre Arlovsky. So, tremendous step up in competition, a former UFC champion. Uh, it doesn't really matter how long Arlovsky's been in the game. I mean, that he still kind of has that pedigree. So, uh, And he now knows you know, how to hide some of his weaknesses. So Arlovsky's going to try to slow this fight down to a crawl. He's going to try to, you know, get it in the clinch, maybe uh, even work for some takedowns, just really just completely get this into a plotting type of fight because he does not want to get into, you know, a slugfest. He just, he knows he can't win those anymore. He can't, uh, you know, take the damage. So if I'm Aspinall, I try to pick up the pace and force Arlovsky to fight my fight. And if he does, I think he wins. I mean, he needs to keep his distance and work those uh, sharp, crisp strikes. And if he connects one with just one with Arlovsky's chin, he should win. I mean, Jake Collier's not the chinniest guy, and he just obliterated Collier. And then Collier goes and wins his next UFC fight and kind of proved that maybe he's not so bad. So uh, I think Aspinall is legit. I think he's going to pass this test, and I think he wins by stoppage at some point. Just probably in the first round, but Arlovsky has uh, surprised me in the past. So I don't want to just completely underestimate him because I've picked some of those prospects to beat him before and it did not work out. So uh, he could play spoiler, but 
I think Aspinall is going to be up to the challenge. Now, dropping down to the middleweight division, we have Nasserdin Imavov, who is nine and two, taking on Phil Hawes, who is also nine and two. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers' perspective on this one? Haas minus 118, Imevov minus 102. And right now looking over at Circus Sports, we currently have Haas minus 120, Imevov even money. So kind of hanging in there, close to the opener. Seems like a solid opener for sure, market-wide. I mean, the first time this fight was rebooked, um, Haas was a bigger favorite. Some sharp action came and hit Imevov, and now the line is a little bit tighter. I mean, this is definitely an interesting spot because I got to respect Haas. I mean, his striking ability has come a long way. Obviously, he's got wrestling, that wrestling background, so he's got that wrestler's power. But, man, he's fast. He's strong. I mean, he's definitely more confident now than he's ever been. He's got that knockout power for sure. So this is not an easy guy to be in there with for sure. I definitely respect that ability from Haas to put it on people, and he showed it. I mean, coming off back-to-back impressive, impressive knockout wins. I mean, he showed what he's made of. So Imevov has to kind of weather that early storm, I think. He's got to fight very smart and intelligent. I think he could do that. Um, I think, in my opinion, Imevov is the better mixed martial artist. I think he also hits very hard. He's a sniper. I think he's got really good counterpunching ability. And I think we've seen Haas kind of be a little bit less durable in the past. And as a fight progresses a little bit, I think Imovov definitely has the spot and conditioning where he's going to be a little bit more durable and a little bit more capable. And I think if Haas does shoot in for a takedown, I think he could be in some trouble too, because Imovov does have the better ground game. So this is a case where I think the better mixed martial artist is Imovov and he's a slight dog here. So it's probably a dog or pass situation. Um, and I think, you know, he has to kind of just weather that storm and he ends up probably winning by finish. If it hits a scorecards, I think Imovov wins that fight too. So, I don't know. I just think he has more ways to win this fight. I think he's a little bit more durable, and I think he's a little bit more capable. So my pick is Imivov to win this fight. And I'm going to go the other way. Um, I think both of these guys are exceptionally talented, and they both looked like world beaters in their last fights. Um, Imivov did it over the course of three rounds, which was good, because you got to see that he can go the distance, um, where historically he'd been putting guys away pretty quickly. Uh, while Hawes, you know, he came in and just annihilated his opponent in 18 seconds. So uh, there's still some question marks around uh, Hawes. I mean, we've no, we've seen uh, Hawes struggle in the past as a overhyped prospect, uh, dropping a uh, dis- decision to Andrew Sanchez on Tough 23, and then uh, losing on his first appearance on uh, Contender Series to Julian Marquez, getting knocked out with the head kick. Uh, you know, th- which doesn't look quite as bad anymore because Marquez is still pretty impressive. Um, but it seems like he's learned his lessons. Uh, he kind of was away from the sport for about two years after that loss, and he has been obliterating people ever since. Um, he's coming in, and uh, I think uh, none of his fights have gone past the first round since then. So Hawes has that crazy explosive athleticism, a ton of power. He's a good wrestler. So he kind of is that complete package. The thing you have to be nervous about, though, is he does potentially leave himself exposed to getting submitted or getting knocked out. And conditioning is still a question mark because if he does not take his opponent out in, you know, the first round, what happens? We still haven't quite seen that yet. Uh, And you didn't really learn a whole lot with his 18-second victory uh, back in October. So with Imovov, uh, I think on the feet, 
the technique is there, but he doesn't quite have that same speed and uh, one-punch power that Hawes has. So I think in the stand-up, I favor Hawes. Uh, and I think that he, he connects with something, Imovov could be in some big, big trouble. Um, and Imovov, you know, in his debut, he was mixing in a lot of takedowns um, against his opponent. And I don't think that's going to work against Hawes. Hawes should be the better wrestler here. So I think if Imovov does try to do that, I think it'll backfire and he could be eating some shots while Hawes stuffs some takedowns. So if I'm Imovov, if I want to win this fight, uh, I think you need to drag it out of the first round, maybe even try to drag it out of the second round. But we have seen uh, Hawes, when he loses, he got submitted in the second round in the World Series of Fighting. He got knocked out in the second round on Contender Series, and he lost a decision to Andrew Sanchez on tough. So get him out of the first round, and it might get interesting. But I honestly think Hawes is talented enough and improved enough that he might not, that Imovov might not make it out of the first round. So I'm picking Hawes, but if that first round ends and he has not finished the fight, live betting scenario, all aboard Imovov potentially. So uh, the pick is Hawes, but be careful out there. Now, moving back up to the heavyweight division, we have Alexei Olenek, who is 59-14-1, taking on Chris Daukus, who is 10-3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Daukus, minus 140, Olenek, plus 120, and right now what we're seeing over Circus Sport, Daukus, minus 205, the comeback on Olenek, plus 180, a lot of sharp and public money coming in on Dawkins. A lot of people believe that he's got the speed, he's got the power to make this a nightmare matchup for Olenek, and that's very possible. I mean, Olenek in the past has had struggles, obviously, with durability and, and these fast, quick heavyweights that are capable of landing on him. And, I mean, obviously, he's getting older right now. So, and he's, you know, father time, like I just said earlier, catches up to all of us. So Olenek has been battling father time for a while, but he's succeeded quite a bit, man. I mean, Look, coming off of a loss to Lewis, I understand that. But before that, he had a win over Fabrice Verdum, and Verdum is not exactly, you know, totally past his prime. I mean, he showed definitely some life as of late yet. So there's a very solid win for Olenek over a former UFC champion. Um, and outside of that, we all know what Olenek is about. He's got big power on the feet. He doesn't have that technical striking you like to see, but he still has that old man strength. And if he's able to get this fight to the floor, Dacus is in a world of trouble. I understand Dacus has BJJ as well, but come on, there's a different level of jiu-jitsu, especially dealing with a guy like Olenek, and I don't think it's going to bode too well for Dacus on the ground. Um, I do think that Dacus probably wins this fight. I'm going to pick him to win. I think the narrative here with him being too fast and too powerful, probably getting Olenek out of there is true, but man, this is the toughest test to date for Dacus by far. I'm not as confident as everybody else out there just running to the betting window, firing on him, because I think if Olenek can weather that storm, it's going to get interesting. Or if Dacus makes one mistake, he might lose his fight. So his IQ has to be on point here, and I think he probably wins this fight. So I'm going to pick him to win. I just don't have the confidence level everybody else seems to have out there. Yeah, that's really what it boils down to is, can Dacus take Olenek out quickly? Because um, Olenek has that incredible grappling and he does actually have a little bit of pop on the feet. And while he's not the most technical striker, he can uh, scare some uh, decent strikers. I mean, he actually was getting the better of Alistair Overeem on the feet for the first uh, two or three minutes of that fight just by a pure aggression. And that's actually one of the reasons that he was able to uh, 
get the better of Verdum. Again, just pure aggression, forcing them to fight on their back foot. So even though he's not, you know, an elite technical kickboxer, um, he can kind of overwhelm you a little bit. And uh, he's made that work against some guys that have some really good striking credentials. Now, uh, Daukus, on the other hand, while he's not an elite kickboxer or anything, he's shown that this guy is powerful. Um, you saw it in the, the debut against Parker Porter, uh, which looked even better because uh, Porter then turned around and won his next fight in the UFC. Um, and then he came in as an underdog against Nascimento. Uh, you know, everybody thought that Nascimento was just going to take him down and go to work with his, uh, you know, elite submission game. And uh, Daukus takes Nascimento out in 45 seconds. So... Again, small sample size, but Daukus has a lot of power on the feet. And if he connects, you're in big trouble. It doesn't matter who you are. So, again, if Olenek gets this to the floor, I think he is going to easily be able to get a, a, a finish. I mean, we've seen Daukus get tapped out by an Americana. Granted, this was, you know, five years ago um, and early in his career. But that is not a, a submission that, you know, really good grapplers get tapped out to. So if Olenek gets Daukus down, I think it is over. Like, it is submission almost certainty. So I am super nervous about this because uh, Daukus is not the greatest grappler. But uh, as long as it stays on the feet, uh, Daukus should be quicker. He should have more power. He can take a shot better. So... Uh, he's going to have that edge. And we've seen him already take out a really strong grappler in Nascimento that has some potential chin issues. And uh, Olenek, you know, at 43 years old, absolutely has those chin issues. So uh, I, I'm going to go with Daukus. But again, if this goes to the floor, watch out. So my pick is Daukus, though. Now, dropping down to the featherweight division, we have Derek Minner, who is 25 and 11 taking on Charles Rosa, who is 13-4. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Rosa open minus 145, Minner plus 125. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, uh, Rosa minus 180, the comeback on Minner plus 155. So a lot of two-way action coming in in this fight. I mean, as the line progressed towards Rosa, now we're starting to see some action back on Minner as well. Tough one, man. I mean, Minner, another one of these guys, to me, in my opinion, that's a very solid fighter, very capable fighter. He just has that gas tank and in, in, in the IQ as it, the fight progresses a lot of times that he gets himself in trouble. So to me, he's a front runner that he basically needs to perform well in the first round and possibly get a finish to win the fight. Slick submissions. Obviously, we know that good wrestling you can't sleep on his power either. But Rosa, to me, is by far the more technical and better mixed martial artist in this spot here. I mean, again, I think he might even lose round one. But outside of that, if he survives, and I think he's capable of doing so because he's a hard guy to submit. I mean, he showed us time and time again. Doug Nasty had him in a lot of tough spots, and he was able to not, um, you know, get finished in that regard. So that was pretty impressive. But obviously, Minner saw that path to victory, and he's going to try to implement that same type of game plan. I just don't think he's got the defensive ability to continue to hold on even if he has, is having success early on with his wrestling with his grappling or whatnot i don't think he's going to be able to maintain it for all three rounds without getting himself caught in a submission so i think rosa is the more technical fighter i think rosa is the better fighter and i think it's going to show here as the fight progresses at least so for me it's rosa and i'm right with you uh derek minner if you just look at his fight history i mean this is a guy that lives by the fire dies by the fire i mean he is 
aggressively pursuing takedowns. Uh, almost every one of his career victories are by submission, um, but a significant amount of his losses, and he has 11 career losses, are by submission. So it's basically he pushes a really high pace and tries to take his opponent out, and um, he leaves openings for his opponents to do the same thing. Uh, and if they're uh, good enough uh, with their ground games, they can catch him. Uh, we've seen it uh, early in his career against you know some UFC caliber guys like Luke Sanders, um, and, uh, more recently, Kevin Kroom, Herbert Burns, Grant Dawson, all were able to, to get him in submissions. Now, uh, actually, uh, Kroom was able to get him with a ground and pound, but, um, with Charles Rosa, I mean, we know this guy is a really good grappler. And while he doesn't always win by submission, he does not get caught by submissions. I mean, he was in there with Bryce Mitchell, one of the best most talented grapplers I've seen in a long time in MMA. And Mitchell, even though he was out grappling Rosa, he was never able to actually finish him. And the one thing that Minner does not do is he does not win by decision. (laughs) So he is, I think out of all of his career victories, maybe one out of the, the 25 is by decision. So with a guy that has uh, a strong track record like Rosa, who is uh, a good grappler, respectable striking. I mean, he moved up in lightweight and outstruck Kevin Aguilar to win by split decision his last time out, uh, who on paper was by far the better striker. Um, So I think Rosa has the edge on the feet, on the ground. Uh, Minner is probably going to have the edge early, but the second he starts to slow down, Rosa should actually be able to turn the tides on him on the ground as well. So I can see Rosa winning by decision. I can see Rosa uh, winning by submission. And I can see Rosa winning by TKO if Minner gasses and gets grounded and pounded. So uh, I really like Rosa here. And unless he gets submitted in the first round, I think it's going to be Rosa uh, either winning by stoppage or winning a decision. So Rosa's going to be my pick. Now, dropping down to the women's bantamweight division for the co-main event of the evening, we have Ketlin Vieira, who is 11-1, taking on Yana Kunitskaya, who is 13-5. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Vieira opened minus 275, Kunitskaya plus 225, and right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is currently Vieira minus 245, Kunitskaya plus 210. So a little bit more action coming in the underdog. She's going to be a popular bet, I think, at the betting window. Just because Vieira, I mean, on the feet, defensively, she has had some issues. Obviously getting sparked by Aldana, but not just that. I mean, she's been hit in several of her fights, so defensively she needs to tighten that up, get her head off the line a little bit, man. She's definitely hittable. The good thing for her is Kunitskaya doesn't really have that one-punch knockout power that a girl like Aldana has. But that said, accumulation and, you know, obviously... She's going to be able to land steady on the feet if it stays upright, and Kuniskaya is a better striker. But the ground game is where it's at for Vieira. Even though Kuniskaya is not a fish out of the water on the ground, Vieira is the dominant wrestler here. She's the dominant grappler here. I think she's going to be able to get this fight to the ground, and if she's capable of doing so, she could probably finish this fight that way as well. So I just think it hits a scorecard. She should be able to grind out a pretty tough 29-28 decision type of win. But before that, I think she has the ability to finish this fight on the ground and possibly win by submission. So for me... 
It's a tough one at the betting window, but I have to side with Vieira because I think she is stylistically the better grinder, better grappler, and her path to victory is a little bit more clear to me than Kuniskaya, but it will be a tough fight. Yeah, this one's all about the ground game. Uh, Kuniskaya is not terrible on the ground, but historically, that's where she loses fights. Uh, You just go back throughout her entire career. Um, Way back in 2016, she lost by armbar. Then she took on Tanya Evinger, lost by armbar. Rematched Avenger, got lost by rear naked choke. Then UFC debut against Chris Cyborg. It was ground and pound, not Cyborg on the feet. Uh, and then in her loss after dropping down to 135, uh, again, it was ground and pound. So pretty much if you want to beat Kunitskaya, you got to take her down and go to work, whether it's ground and pound or submissions. And thankfully, that's almost exclusively what Vieira thrives at. Uh, She is a very good uh, ground fighter with good wrestling and very good submissions. So if she can get you down, you're in trouble. Uh, We've seen it. uh, You know, she was even able to uh, outgrapple Sarah McMahon, an Olympic wrestler. So uh, that's her game. And and in her last fight, she bounced back from the loss to Aldana and was able to win a decision against uh, Cesare Eubanks, you know, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, I believe. So um, she clearly looks like she's back on the right track here. Um, the, the the thing that does worry me, though, is Kunitskaya is a pretty good striker with a little bit of pop, not, you know, that nasty one-punch knockout power. So I think that Vieira is going to be able to get inside and get it to the ground before getting hurt. But it could happen. So I'm going to leave. That is a path to victory here for Kunitskaya if uh, Vieira is unable to get it to the floor. Uh, Kunitskaya is just clearly the better striker. But uh, I think Vieira does get it to the floor. Um, She's done it against just about everybody she's fought except Aldana, who uh, for some reason she screwed around a little too much on the feet and she paid the price. Aldana is a powerful striker. She clipped her and took her out. So... uh, that being said, I think Vieira does get it down. I think that she gets a submission at some point or worst case does win a decision. So my pick is going to be Vieira. Now this brings us to the main event of the evening in the heavyweight division. We have Curtis Blades, who is 14 and 2, taking on Derek Lewis, who is 24 and 7. Now Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Blades minus 300, Lewis plus 250. That was the opening price. Steam coming in Blades' way. Not quite enough of an opener there to keep people off Blades. Now it's minus 435 at circa plus 350 on Lewis. And market pricing is going up. It's heading towards 500. So craziness, but it's probably true. I mean, the path to victory, we all know. It's it's not a mystery. Blades comes out and says it himself. He's going to look to take this fight to the ground. He doesn't want to stay in a band with Lewis. Lewis has a puncher's chance in this fight. We've seen it time and time again. I mean, that Volkov comeback win, one of the best comebacks in the history and one of the worst beats for betters out there in the history of the sport is evident. I mean, that's the kind of one-punch knockout power Lewis possesses, and he knows that that's how he has to win this fight. So he's going to be slinging some leather when he gets the opportunity to do so. But how many opportunities will that be? Blades is smart. He's going to look to take this fight to the ground and on the ground. Lewis is, you know, obviously capable in most spots of getting back up and making it a grueling fight for people. I mean, it's hard to hold Lewis down, but if anybody could do it, it's guys like obviously DC or Blades. Um, And Blades is one of the best wrestlers we've seen in the UFC history in the heavyweight division. That says a lot because we've had some dominant wrestlers, but he sticks to that game plan more than anybody I've seen in quite some time and is very effective doing so. So the ground to pound, the path to victory, all there for Blades. I get it. 
It's going to be interesting, though. There's no way you can touch this fight at the betting window. I mean, you got to be crazy. It's At this point, it's probably a dog or pass on, on uh, Lewis, as crazy as that sounds. So I just don't think he gets it done. So it's, it's a tough one to bet. I think it's, you know, one of these main events that we know they're fighting for number one contendership status. And we just realize the narrative here. And it's Blades probably getting it done. I mean, as he should. Right. So not much more to say about this fight. It's going to be interesting. Can Lewis land that one punch knockout and, and get Blades out of there? Possibly, but if he doesn't, it's going to be a long night for him. So I have to side with Blades here. Yeah, and I have to go with Blades as well. Um, Derek Lewis is crazy dangerous. I mean, he's one of the most powerful fighters in the UFC, regardless of weight class. I mean, if he hits you with something good, you're going down. Uh, We saw it um, throughout his entire career. I mean, he's when he gets top position on people, it's devastating. And now... He's also starting to connect with some strikes every once in a while and hurting people. So uh, it happened uh, most recently in the Volkov fight, you know, a fight he was losing for almost 15 straight minutes and then just lands one nightmare right hand and Volkov goes down, one of the best heavyweights on the roster, and he takes him out with 11 seconds to go. So you always have to be concerned about the power of uh, Derek Lewis. That being said... Lewis doesn't face a lot of wrestlers, and when he does, it does not go well for him. Uh, You saw it in the Daniel Cormier fight. You know, he earned a title shot after the Volkov knockout, and Cormier just immediately took him down, took him out of his game, dominated him in the first round, and then choked him out in the second. Um, Curtis Blades is a tremendous wrestler, probably the next best wrestler or perhaps the best wrestler now that Cormier is retired uh, in the heavyweight division. So as long as Lewis doesn't catch him coming in, uh, Blades is going to get him down, put him on his back, and Blades or and uh, Lewis just does not have the wrestling to keep himself off of his back. I mean, he might be able to get back to his feet, but I think Blades just goes right back to work and gets him down. And when Blades gets top position, he does some damage. Uh, I think it's only a matter of time before uh, Lewis gets frustrated, uh, gets, you know, put in a bad spot on his back, and then just turtles up and Blades finishes him. So um, my pick is going to be Curtis Blades by TKO at some point, possibly second or third round. But Lewis will have a puncher's chance every moment up until then because... Uh, Blades can get knocked out. We've seen it against Nganu. We've seen him get hurt a couple times against uh, some other good fighters that he was able to uh, turn the tides and use his wrestling to win. But uh, I think it's only a matter of time before Blades smartly takes Lewis off uh, out of his element, puts him on his back, and goes for the ground and pound win. So Blades is going to be my pick. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC Vegas 19. If we have any free plays to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOBPremium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. Um, you can also check out the free bets section on MMAOddsBreaker.com. Uh, AJ Shulu currently has several free bets available for this event and some several upcoming UFC events. Remember, check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.